Hey everybody, hope you are doing well. Um, so for those of you who have been uh, following this for a while, then you know that we're, 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 we've been kind of on a common theme for the past several weeks. And I think this one's going to conclude this. I don't know if I want to call it a series. Um, it is, but I, I usually don't like series because, you know, if people see like, part three, part four of something, they know they have to go back and watch part one, or at least they feel like they do, and then they don't want to watch the whole thing. And So this is, isn't a series exactly, but it is a series. So last time we were talking about some of the uh, new festivals that were described in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we went into detail about that. The past couple of weeks we've been talking about the return of Jesus in light of the uh, new festivals, the new new you know, the prophecy and stuff. And then in this one, I wanted to look um, at these new festivals uh, specifically in prophecy. Like what, what, do, what do new wine and new oil actually represent? We talked about um, the wood offering in the first video. We talked about what that represented and we talked about prophecy and stuff with that. But in this, to, to, to kind of wrap this up and bring this around full circle, this one I wanted to talk about, um, new the the new wine new oil in light of prophecy because there's some amazing things here uh there's some really amazing things and it, it just makes me smile thinking about it and i can't wait to share it with you guys so that's what we're going to talk about uh by the way if you want this whole series you can go to dailyrenegade.com you can get the whole thing and uh there will even be should be there now, but if not, it'll be there at some point. There will even be a whole video where it's just the series without the breaks that I, you know, take in the middle to switch over to members and tell people to go to Daily Renegade. It, it, it'll be, you know, I cut those out and then I just put the whole thing. So I did that for the last five-part series that I did for JPD Weekly, and the whole the whole thing is like three and a half hours long. Um, and so I put that up there. There's a lot of extra stuff at Daily Renegade that you can't find elsewhere online. So there's a lot of benefit to getting a membership. So uh, I highly suggest you check that out. Now, last time we ended with talking about how these... Uh, festivals show up in the Old Testament and how they can even get, give more depth to like the the passage the, the passage in Hosea where God expresses um, his feelings about Israel's rejection and compares Israel to a, a woman who's cheated cheated on her husband and uh, when because there's allusions to the um, festivals all over in that and when you actually realize that it gives so much more depth to the level of betrayal that God was feeling. And it also adds so much more depth to his love and forgiveness because later on he says that he's going to allure her again. He's going to allure Israel again. And it's it's really phenomenal stuff. So there's a lot of benefit there, but there's also a benefit in prophecy. So that's where we left off last time. And I wanted to pick up with uh, new festivals and prophecy. And we actually do see hints of a prophetic significance to these new festival days. Um, and you can go back in the previous videos and, and get what they are. I'm going to focus mostly on new wine and new oil in this one. We already looked at the wood offering. Um, and then I, in video two or three, we looked at how some of the other uh, festivals make an appearance in the tribulation and why I believe that Jesus is going to return in the spring and fulfill the spring feasts again, not 
that he's going to come back to fulfill the fall feast, although that is a strong possibility, and I still do talk about that sometimes. So there are times where you're going to hear me say things like, hey, wouldn't that be cool if he came back on, you know, in 32 or in uh, 2032 to fulfill the fall feasts? I still think that's a possibility. I haven't totally like disregarded that or anything, but I also think it's a possibility that he's going to come uh, in the spring. And I think it's uh, important to look at both. Anyway, so um, all that aside, uh, one of the best ways to interpret what a Bible uh, what the Bible says about uh, our future is to examine ancient prophecies, see how they were explained and fulfilled, and then we can apply that understanding to prophecies that haven't yet come to pass. So we find an example of this when the prophet Jeremiah uh, specifically mentions the words of the Lord, who speaks of items of the first fruits offerings in terms of prophecy. And it's amazing how these new festivals, specifically first fruits of new oil and first fruits of new wine, how much they come up in prophecy. So Jeremiah 31 12, and I'm reading from the NET, says, They will come and shout for joy on Mount Zion. They will be radiant with joy over the good things the Lord provides the grain, the fresh wine, the olive oil, the young sheep, and the calves He has given to them. So this is all stuff that, that they used for offerings. Uh, continues on, they will be like the well-watered garden and will not grow faint or weary anymore. So this shows us the more positive side of prophecy, that Israel is still awaiting this this amazing fulfillment. So that's like the good side. I wanted to open with a good a good thing because we're going to look at a lot of darker prophecy. Um, you know, But that shows us the, the more positive side. But as we well know, these things tend to get the darkest before the dawn. So we can compare this with other prophecies in an effort to find some commonalities. So we can look at the book of Micah, specifically chapter 6, verse 15, which says, you will plant crops, but will not harvest them. You will squeeze oil from the olives, but you will not, uh, but you will have no oil to rub on your bodies. You will squeeze juice from the grapes, but you will have no wine to drink. So specifically referencing, uh, again, first fruits of new wine, first fruits of new oil. Um, we get some more information of that from Joel 1, 8 through 13, which, say, which says, Wail like a young virgin clothed in sackcloth, lamenting the death of her husband-to-be. No one brings grain offerings or drink offerings to the temple of the Lord anymore. So the priests, those who serve the Lord, are in mourning. The crops of the fields have been destroyed. The ground is in mourning because the grain has perished. The fresh wine has dried up. The olive oil languishes. Be distressed, farmers, whale, vine dressers, over the wheat and the barley. For the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up. The fig tree languishes. The pomegranate, date, and apple as well. In fact, all the trees of the field have dried up. Indeed, the joy of the people has dried up. Get dressed and lament, you priests. Now, in the following, and, and why specifically these? It was because these were the things that the children of Israel were supposed to prevent or present to the Lord first, offer to the Lord first before they could partake. So they were supposed to, uh, every 50 days was a new thing. So it started with barley. They're supposed to give some barley to the Lord before they could partake, and then they were all supposed to rejoice together. This wasn't supposed to be like, you know, you, you don't get yours till I get mine. You know, it wasn't anything like that. Uh, th this was a time of rejoicing, but it was also to remind Israel that God is the one that provides. He is the one who provides. They are not providing for themselves. God gets his cut first, but then they all get to enjoy together because it actually says they are to rejoice. 
so you get that with uh, barley 50 days later, you get wheat 50 days later, you get uh, um, wine, and 50 days after that you get new oil. So when it says all this stuff dries up, it's because they have forgotten the Lord. They, they're rebelling against the Lord. They're not giving the Lord his due, so the, so the Lord is not providing for them anymore. They are breaking this part of the relationship. You know, uh, God is saying, like, I will provide for you, but you give me, you, you, you present yours to me first, then we'll all enjoy it together. Um, but they stopped doing that. And they actually went so far as to say that they were getting their things from false gods and stuff. And we talked about that, uh, in the previous video, but that, that's why these things, uh, specifically have to do with, they keep coming up in prophecy, especially around Israel's uh, re rebellion and rejection, which uh, Israel is still in a state of that today. Um, so now in the following chapter of the book of Joel, mirror mirroring what we first looked at from the book of Jeremiah uh, when we opened this video. Excuse me. Oh, it is an extra coffee kind of day. Um, but we read this. This is Joel 2, 18 through 19 and 24. Then the Lord became zealous for his land, and he had compassion on his people. The Lord responded to his people, Look, I'm about to restore your grain as well as fresh wine and olive oil. You will be fully satisfied. I will never again make you an object of mockery among the nations. The threshing floors are full of grain. The vats overflow with fresh wine and olive oil. Uh, so you have those elements there. Now, while we can uh, see both the dark and the bright sides, we can learn quite a bit about how these should be interpreted. So we find that the uh, that prophecy throughout the Old Testament often incorporates the four first fruits festivals by mentioning grains, which is barley and wheat, wine and oil. We also discover that um, the Old Testament prophecies typically center around Israel. At least in the Old Testament, these aspects of prophecy seem to be the norm. So would it not then make sense for those aspects of prophecy to carry over to the New Testament? Um, now, the weird thing is, while we see oil and wine mentioned with wheat and barley fairly often in the Old Testament, throughout the entire New Testament, we only see it a couple of times in the book of Revelation. And, you know, in fact, one of the mentions might be insignificant as it appears... Um, in a long list of other items that the merchants of the world are no longer able to purchase after the, the destruction of future Babylon. That's Revelation 18.13. So that one might might be insignificant. That, that one actually might be a coincidence. But there is at least one other mention that you're going to be really familiar with, um, and you're going to start to see it in a new light now. But that look, this seems important to note. So Revelation 6, 5 through 6 says, When the Lamb opened the third seal... I heard the living creature say, come. So I looked and, and here came a black horse. The one who rode it had a balance scale on his hand. Then I heard something like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat will cost a day's pay and three quarts of barley will cost a day's pay, but do not damage the olive oil and the wine. We have those four elements, those four first fruits feasts. And uh, you have wheat, you have barley, you have oil, you have wine. So isn't, isn't that interesting? And uh, I've talked about before on this channel that it's, might, it's possible that these seals might be broken on festival days because at least one of them seems, seems to be, possibly two. And I talked about um, the uh, abomination of desolation on the Day of Atonement and how when you read... Uh, the first couple of verses of chapter 8 
of Revelation in conjunction with what the Old Testament says about the Day of Atonement and the incense burning, and then having the understanding that things in heaven happen at the same, or supposed to happen on the same day as things on earth, and that's why the calendar was so important, so they would do rituals at the same time. Uh, the angels in heaven and the heavenly temples, in the heavenly temple, and then uh, humans here on earth in the Israel, Israeli Israel temple, Jewish temple. Um, when you read all that, that seems to be describing the Day of Atonement, and that's the seventh seal. So it might make sense. There might be a connection here if it's talking about these four feasts. Well, what's what's before that? I suppose that would be what would that be? Unleavened bread, maybe maybe Passover. Um, so we would have to find out what this black horse is and maybe, maybe it, the, the seal is broken on one of the festivals before first fruits, um, maybe unleavened bread or something like that. And then, and then the voice is proclaiming, you know, the, these first fruits, but, but it's interesting that it says that do not damage the olive oil and the wine. So why is that? Why, why is it that? Wheat and barley are affected, but not olive oil and wine. And we talked about how olive oil might represent the two witnesses um, in the tribulation. Wine might represent, um, we, we looked at several other things, but again, that's in the, I believe, the third video of this series. Uh, so we, we looked at different things like that. But First fruits of barley, as we went through already, was likely the day that Jesus met the disciples again after his resurrection. So 50, 50 days after that date, the first fruits of uh, wheat, or Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to those who believed in Jesus, and the church was officially born. So could it be then that the first fruits of new wine and oil have something to do with the church? And if so... Would that mean that first fruits of barley and wheat point to Israel? Maybe unbelieving Israel, since they persecuted Jesus. Maybe first fruits of barley and wheat have something to do with that. You know, could they represent Israel in some way? And then could wine and oil represent the church? And might that have something to do with why barley and wheat are affected in Revelation 6, 5 through 6, but not the oil and the wine? Because again, we, we would be, in my opinion, we would be raptured out by then. Now, uh, or it could just be something else completely. But but these are the kinds of questions that we wouldn't even know to ask if we didn't have information about the first fruits of new wine and new oil from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, much of the New Testament seems to focus on the church. The only exception to this seems to be the very beginning of the Gospels and the book of Revelation, where focus seems to be uh, redirected back to Israel. In Revelation, so you get you get it at the beginning of the Gospels. That's Israel, Israel, Israel. Then the church is born, and then it is church throughout the whole thing until Revelation again, and then it's focused uh, back on Israel. Um, and so, is this why we don't see these festivals alluded to in New Testament prophecy? Because new, most of New Testament prophecy in the epistles and stuff that's directed towards the church. That's not Israel centric. Um, you, you do see some allusions to it, but not as much in like the actual prophetic things. So um, could that be, but could that be why? Because the, the church and Israel are two different, you know, things and the, the church doesn't have like festivals and a calendar and new oil. And, you know, the, the, the church doesn't have these festivals and this understanding, you know, m much of the church is Gentile and would have no clue about this stuff, um, especially, uh, 
you know, in ancient times. So could that be why? Because they are, um, why we don't see the festivals alluded to in the New Testament prophecy until the book of Revelation, because they're clearly linked with Israel. So what might be the significance of each of those festivals in prophecy, both for the believer and the unbeliever? Because I'm going to make the case that these do represent things. Uh, and we talked about this in the wood offering, and I, I said how um, it's like it's like two sides of one coin. Uh, you, you have, um, a, a, an understanding or like a fulfillment or an interpretation of the, of the, of the festivals on one side for the believer on the other side for the unbeliever. And then the unbeliever, it's, it's judgment and stuff. And we talked about that with new, uh, with, um, uh, the wood offering. So now let's look at new wine for the believer. What, what might these mean? Could they re represent something with the church? What do they represent? We know the other festivals represent things, and we've talked a lot about that. And while we might not know much about these new festivals, there are some things that we can piece together. Uh, one of the stipulations of first fruits of new wine was that no one could drink the new wine for that year until the offering had been made to God uh, at the temple. So they had to wait until God had his first portion, and then the children of Israel could enjoy theirs. Uh, but even more, this was supposed to be a joyous experience. You know, they weren't supposed to do this out of fear. It was out, it was supposed to be done out of love and respect. Um, this was supposed to be joyous. The temple scroll states, quote, the children of Israel shall rejoice in Yahweh's presence, end quote. So this is supposed to be like worshiping God. It's supposed to be happy. Like, oh, thank you, Lord, for providing this to us here. Obviously, you know, take your portion first. You know, you, you, you deserve it. Thank you for uh, inviting us into this fellowship with you. And it's supposed to be this joyous thing. Um, which we as Christians can actually learn from that, from principles of that. It, does, it doesn't mean that we do these festivals ourselves, but uh, or at least not that we have to, but what it means is that we, we can learn a lot from them. So with that in mind, we might have a connection in a familiar passage. Uh, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30 says, While they were eating, Jesus took uh, bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. After taking the cup and giving it thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it. Uh, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out, poured out for many uh, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So first, it's interesting to note that all we actually have all four elements of uh, all all the first fruits festivals in in that passage. So bread, bread can easily accommodate barley and wheat. Um, next, we have the wine, which is obvious. And then finally, we have the oil in the mention of the Mount of Olives, because it's olive oil. That's what the First Fruits Feast is. Now, of course, some might say that that's coincidence. Maybe. Very well could be. But uh, one other thing about this passage is the similarity between how the children of Israel were to wait until the Lord had his portion before enjoying the new wine, and how Jesus says here, after pouring the wine, that he will now wait until they are, to, they are all together again in his Father's house before drinking again. And by the way, um, you and I I get to enjoy in that. Well, when we when we see Jesus by by rapture or death or whatever, when the time when the time comes, we get to enjoy with with it with Jesus. We get to enjoy this with Jesus. When Jesus said that, he had you in mind. Uh, he had me in mind. You know, he he had all of us, and that that to me is amazing. Now, in the in that Matthew passage, Jesus takes the bread first in order to give thanks. He breaks it, disperses it to the rest of the disciples, and. Um, uh, and, and blesses it by saying that it is his body. 
Then he does the same with the wine. Before, uh, or, or therefore, it is for the benefit of the disciples that Jesus took the bread and wine first. Now, that shows that the first fruits offering, they're, they're likely not intended to only show that God is in charge and, you know, he gets his portion first because everyone else is below him. Although, admittedly, that would be perfectly justified if that were the only reason. But that doesn't seem to be the only reason. It seems the point of God having his portion first is reflected in that Matthew passage. God wants to bless the first portion for the benefit of his children, and he wanted his children to love and trust him enough to do that for them. And so that that adds a whole new dimension to to this whole thing. Now, while new wine has a clear connection, um, the, the you know first fruits of new wine clearly has a connection to communion. Uh, we see a more complete picture in connecting wine with the idea of marriage. And in fact, the communion cup has a direct parallel um, with an ancient aspect of Jewish weddings. So in the time of Jesus, uh, and you, you, you probably know this if you've ever seen Before the Wrath, excellent documentary. Uh, but in the time of Jesus, if a man wanted to marry a woman, there were different customs in place than uh, different than what we're familiar with today. So the establishment of the proposal and engagement, for example, was different. Um, now, Dr. Renald E. Showers wrote about this as well in his book, um, Actually, I think this was a paper, maybe, but it's uh, the comparison of covenant and dispensational theology. Uh, but he wrote, quote, uh, and um, Showers is one of the most distinguished American theologians, uh, Dr. Renald Showers. Check out his work. But uh, he explains, quote, as a symbol of the covenant relationship that had been established, the groom and bride would drink from a cup of wine over which a betrothal benediction had been pronounced. Um now, there's also been, like I said, a number of books books and movies made to show the connection between much of the ministry of Jesus and the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony. Uh, like, again, most notably in recent time, the documentary Before the Wrath, Wrath directed by uh, my good friend Brent Miller Jr. And actually, that reminds me right now, I keep forgetting to invite him on the show. Brent, if you are watching, I'm so sorry. Um, I had Jay McCarl on, and I've been meaning to get uh, Brent Miller on, and it's just, I, I have like 20 different guests that I keep forgetting. Like, I just keep forgetting because I keep getting caught up in other things. So, um, uh, I'll, so I, I'll, I'll do that. Maybe you guys can help remind me. Um, start emailing me and mug, bugging me about it. Uh, joshpeckdisclosure at gmail.com. Um, but, uh, yeah, I want to get him on the show. But, um uh, I met him a, co a couple of years ago. He came out to, he and his, his father, uh, Brent Miller Sr., came out to shoot some shows at Skywatch TV. And uh, really great guys. Uh, love their work. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll have to get him on. Anyway, I don't want to deviate too much. Uh, we actually have another connection, I believe, to First Fruits of New Wine in the account of Jesus' first miracle at the wedding of uh, Cana. Is it Cana or Cana? 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 What if it was Cana? I don't want to say that. <laughs> I hope it's not pronounced that. I think it's probably Cana. 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 Maybe it's Cana. Anyway, uh, John 2, uh, 1 through 11. And th this one I'm going to be reading from the KJV. But it says, um, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. Jesus said unto her, 
uh, woman, what what do I have to do with the? I always I always laugh at that with the King James because like Jesus is like calling his mom woman. Like I would have got smacked across my face if I called my mom that <laughs> woman. Uh, no, obviously it's a different cultural context and it's it's fine. And also this is like 1600s English or something like that. So, uh, but anyway, all right, uh, woman, what what do I have to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet coming. Has not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men had well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifestation forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. All right, first, there's a lot here. Um, we actually can tell the festival day of Jesus' very first miracle. Now, first we can notice that the it says the marriage occurred on the third day. Now, we're not told if this is the third day of the week, the month, or the year, but we can look at uh, the Dead Sea Scroll calendar at DSS calendar.org. Dr. Ken Johnson put that together. Um, we can look at that calendar and make actually a pretty good guess. If we look to month five, um, which is uh, Av, if you look to that, you can see that the third day of Av is first fruits of new wine. That's the third day. So could it be possible that people during this time would want to plan their weddings on a wine festival? It seems to make sense, much how today we have the tradition of June weddings. Dr. Ken Johnson says that that was a common thing uh, at that point, at that point in time, that they would plan their weddings around uh, first fruits of new wine because of that. So that could be the third day. Now that we have clear connection between the ministry of Jesus and the ancient wedding, uh, Jewish wedding ceremony, which involves wine, we can see how first fruits of new wine might point to the church age or age of grace. And that becomes uh, increasingly clear when, um, oops, that becomes increasingly clear when we understand the Christian role as bride of Christ described throughout the New Testament, John 3.29, Ephesians 5, 25-37, uh, or 27, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11.2, and Revelation 19.7-9. Now, what about, so So it seems like there's, and of course, you know, marriage, we're, we're the bride of Christ, you know, there, there's a lot there. So that I think all that marriage stuff, that's what First Fruits of New Wine represents. But there's also an interpretation of wine for the unbeliever. Um, there, there's allusions to, to like judgment and like really harsh things. And we see that we saw that in the wood offering in the first video. Um, again, it's like a coin and you got two sides. So just as first fruits of barley and first fruits of wheat seem to have a joyous significance for the believer, there also seems to be more dire significance for the unbeliever having to do with judgment. So for example, first fruits of barley was when the disciples first saw the risen Christ. So to believers, that's a joyous time. 
to the unbeliever, to those who crucified him, that's horrific. He defeated death, you know. It shows that Jesus has the power over life and death and, and possesses the power to eternally judge the rebellious in hell in the lake of fire. Matthew 10, 28 says, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy both body or both soul and body in hell. So you have that. First fruits of wheat, also called Pentecost, joyous time for the believer because this was when the Holy Spirit was sent and the new covenant was established through the official birth of the church. What an amazing thing. But for the unbeliever, this would also be horrific because uh, Jesus explains the penalty for those who would blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Mark 3.29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Um, so there's... there's um, there's symbolism there of each of these festivals. And like I said before, it's like two sides of one coin. One side for the believer represents a blessing or a gift. The other side for the unbeliever represents a curse or a judgment. And as we'll see, first fruits of new wine follows that same trend. So does oil. Um, there are examples throughout scripture of wine having something to do with judgment and wrath of God. For example, a clear description of the return of Jesus, the book of Isaiah, writes, this is Isaiah 63, 2 through 4a. Um, it says, why are your clothes red? Why do you look like someone who has stomped on grapes in a vat? I have stomped grapes in the wine press all by myself. No one from the nations joined me. I stomped on them in my anger. I trampled them down in my rage. Their juice splashed on my garments and stained all my clothes for I looked forward to the day of vengeance. So that's obviously Jesus coming back to destroy his enemies. And we talked about that a little bit in video three, but that is, uh, that's what that's referring to. Um, Revelation gives a little bit more ex uh, uh, information about this. Revelation 14, 18 through 20 says, Another angel who is in charge of the fire uh, came from the altar. Remember when we talked about the wood offering? Um, th that's what's being described here. A he heavenly temple scene with a wood offering and an altar and all that. But the, the altar and called in a loud voice to the angel that had a sharp sickle. Use your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes off the vine of the earth because its grapes are now ripe. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and gathered the grapes from the vineyard of the earth and tossed them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Then the winepress was stomped outside the city and blood poured out of the winepress up to the height of horses' bridles for a distance of almost 200 miles. Then we have Revelation 19.15. This is from the KJV which says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So if first fruits of new wine um, partially symbolizes judgment, this might be why the children of Israel were commanded not to drink the new wine until God received his portion first. This might be showing that we are not to judge others before God has a chance to first, um, and that this would be the outside world. We, we are not to judge the outside world until God has a chance to first, because frankly, human beings are fallen, and we don't always have a really great track record of fair and honest judgments. We're pretty terrible at it, actually. Just look at how we even treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, 
And that's probably why we are told to let let God judge the world while we are to focus on our brothers and sisters in Christ. So 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 13 says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls himself a Christian, who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or verbally abusive or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. For what I do, I have to do with, for what do I have to do with judging those outside? Are you not to judge those inside, but God will judge those outside. Remove the evil person from among you. So we can see a clear parallel to rewards and judgments um, in, you know, at least three of the festivals now. So do we see the first? And with, with that wine, I want that, you know, God gets his portion first. So even even when we look at the unbeliever representation, God judges the unbeliever first. You know, now now we are kings and priests and all that, and it seems like we have a place in the judgment of angels. But still, Jesus comes back to set the world right, to judge wickedness in the world. That's not up to up to us to do that first. That doesn't mean that we don't stand up for truth. It doesn't mean you know because people will take that into like these ridiculous things. Well, Josh, you're you're just saying that we we just shouldn't do anything then. We sh- we shouldn't. Uh, we should just let people abuse us all day. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when it comes to the actual, when it comes to spirituality and the actual spiritual judgment, you let God handle that. Um, you, your job is to forgive. Your job is to love and pray for your enemies. Your job is to pray for the president, even if you don't like him. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, even if the president is part of the outside world, God will judge that. Jesus will come back and judge that, all right? He knows more about it than you do, than I do. We cannot make appropriate judgments because we don't know everything. And that, that's that's one of the biggest things that I really want to hammer home in the church today is like, look, we don't have to waste our time getting all stressed out about all this stuff. We don't know the full story. Jesus knows the full story, and he will take care of it, <laughs> It's that easy. He doesn't expect us to. We're actually commanded not to. We're, we're supposed to focus in on the church, on our brothers and sisters, and, and minister to one another. Even when we judge one another, it's, it's to minister to each other. It's not to bash each other over the heads and to, 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 to be divisive and to get a one-up on each other. It, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, that's evil. It's to minister, and it's for the betterment of each other. You know, it, It's through love and respect, and you just rarely see that today, especially online. Um, but that, that's why, like, for example, for those who are part of the Josh and, Peck, uh, Josh and Christina Peck's official Facebook group, I, I just got to the point where I said, no, no politics. No, we're not discussing politics anymore because I am sick of people using every excuse they have to say the nastiest things about uh, unbelievers. And nowhere in the Bible are we we're commanded to pray for your enemies even when they persecute you. You're supposed to love them enough to pray for their salvation. I say that online, and people think I'm being silly. People think I'm being naive. I have actually had Christians tell me that there is no point, and I'm not exaggerating, that there is no point in praying for these people because they've already given their souls to Satan and there's no hope. That's you're, You're allowing murder into your heart if you think that. If you honestly believe that, you have allowed murder into your heart and you need to repent of that immediately because that is a lie. 
That is a lie from Satan. That is not true. As long as there is breath in their lungs, there is still hope. And you should be praying that they come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Just, it doesn't matter if they're in their 80s and they haven't done it yet. If there is breath in their lungs, there's still hope. And you should hold on to that hope. And then once once they do pass on, you don't have to pray for them anymore. And you don't have to worry about it because now they're with God or, you know, God's judging them or whatever. It's out of your hands. Um. So I, I just see a lot of this stuff online. I had to back off from politics totally because I was starting to get like that. So I'm not trying to take like a, put myself up on a pedestal above anybody or anything. I, I know that I struggle with that. So I have made the decision to back off from politics. And I think a lot of Christians should make that same decision. There are a few Christians that can handle it. There are a few that can, can do it without falling into pride or weakness, but not many. There's not, there's not many who can. Many of us use it as an excuse to, to, to project hatred into the world. And that is absolutely unchristian. That is absolutely forbidden. And, there, and you'll be able to tell who's who because the people who say, well, uh, Josh is just saying we shouldn't expose evil then. Um, those are people that don't even want to listen to what's being said because this, this message, this is an attack to people like that because they want to hold on to their hatred. And they don't want to understand what the actual message is, what, what I'm saying. I'm, I'm being extremely very clear. You know, of course, we still um, expose the evils of darkness and stuff. But if you are sacrificing your joy in Christ, if you are sacrificing the gifts that Jesus has given you to do that, if you are, if you are doing it by falling into hatred and, and mean-spiritedness and, and you are exposing it, um, and thinking that, thinking, you know, prideful thoughts, like you're better than that person or something, um, then no, then that you're not, you're not doing it in the way that Jesus would have us do it. We're supposed to be a light to the world. You know, we're, we're, if you don't do it out of love and respect, then just don't do it. You know, that then you're not spiritually mature enough to do it. And you're, violating clear commands of God if you're not ta if you don't have the heart to to love and pray for your enemies then back off like I did you know there's nothing wrong with admitting that it's when people don't admit it and they don't try and repent and they keep doing it that's the problem that's an unrepentant heart um that is not a position you want to be in uh when when it's your time to stand face to face with God um and I'm not even saying it's a risk of salvation or anything like that but I'm just saying that that is not where Christians ought to be. Um, I had to take time and back off from politics, and I had I had to really get to the point where I could start praying for these people, and where I could really start to to think, you, you know, there but by the grace of God go I. So it would be so easy that I could have ended up one of these people. Easy, and it is only through the grace of God that that did not happen. Because early on in my in my life, I fought against God as much as possible to try to do my own thing, have my own way, hold on to my mean spiritedness, hold on to my pride. Um, you, you know, I I had these dreams of being a, a rock musician and having having like crowds of people just adore me and just prideful. Prideful, you know, just e evil thoughts, and I would cover it in a veneer of, well, it'll be Christian rock, so it's okay, you know. I I, I just had these really, you know, frankly, looking back on them now, it's dumb, but it, it was immature, is what it was, and God God had to God really disciplined me on that, and I deserved every bit of it, and it was in order to teach me um, 
lessons that I needed to learn in order to be productive for him through ministry, which, which, you know, is what I'm doing now. Um, but I'm telling you, you're not going to, unless you just twist the Bible as much as possible, you're not going to find biblical justification for most of the things that are written in the comments section on YouTube videos or Facebook. And most Christians, people calling themselves Christians, most of them just don't care. They, they turn it, they, they twist the Bible and turn it into that, like these are virtuous acts or something so they can keep doing it. When the reality is, if you're if you're if you don't feel love for these people, admit it. That's fine, but you need to repent of it. You know, that's not something to continue in. The problem is, you you can't. Sometimes you can't help. Like I, I didn't have any love in my heart for these people at all. All I saw were political like abusers, and that's all I saw. And but I I also know I also know that that God died for them too. You know, God's offering that gift to them too. They're rejecting it, but. But God still, like, that gift is still being offered to them. So me and that guy over there aren't that different. The only difference is I accepted the gift and he hasn't yet. That's the only difference. Um, and so I really had to take a step back and think about that and, and get that in my heart and get to the point where I could start praying for these people and thinking about them, even even if I think they're being mean and nasty, but, but like, th thinking about, like, these leaders and stuff. And thinking like, how easy would it have been for me to 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 be a liar like that or something? Um, I need to love and care about them enough to pray for them because probably nobody else is. I mean, very few people are actually praying uh, prayers that need to be prayed. Um, and so they need they need prayer. And also, it would be a lot better if they, you know, if, if they get saved. And a lot of people say I'm naive for that, but I'm not. That happens. People would have said that you were you'd be naive to pray for Paul when he was still killing Christians, um, because he was a monster at that time. But look, look what God did in his life. If, if God could do that with Paul, it is not naive to think that he he can do that with anybody alive today. Um, so it, it it I I had to I had to acknowledge that I I had a lack of love in my heart and that it was wrong and so i had to repent of that and take some time i had to back off from politics totally and i don't have any plans of getting back into it um but i i had to i had to back off from it and repent repent of that sin and then allow jesus to soften my heart and start working with me through that and a lot of christians need to do that i'm still in that process um probably will be for a long time but that's why i don't have any plans to get back into political commentary or anything like that. I have no interest in it now. I mean, I, n now that I've been away from it and I look back at what it was doing to my heart, it makes me sick. Um, and, and a lot of that, that, that's the other thing. Pray that God shows you your sin for how he sees it, not how you want to see it. Uh, and he will, he'll, he'll do that for you. Um, but I think if, if more Christians did that, we would be in a better place. Um, okay. We got to talk about uh, first fruits of new oil. I have I I I could go on and on about that, but I, I want to stick with it and keep going here. We got to talk about first fruits of new oil. So we talked about wine for the believer and the unbeliever. We're going to get into oil, and there's a lot here, and we're going to conclude the the video in this series with that. There's a lot here in new oil. To me, it's even more exciting than new wine. If I had to if I had to gauge them, but you know what I'm going to say.
We're going to have to do that in the members only section. So uh, please head on over to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership. Um, there is a free trial available, but if you already know that you've been blessed by this ministry and you want to help contribute uh, to us being able to produce more things like that um, and, and to, you know, do things within the ministry and keep things going, we got a lot of, got a lot of plans to expand and, you know, we want to, we want to really take this stuff to the world uh, that desperately needs it. But, um, dailyrenegade.com. You can get a membership for only $10 a month or $100 a year. If you get the $100 a year, that is uh, like two months free. Because if you do month by month, that's like $120 a year. If you do the $100 just up front, you you get 20 bucks off. So that's a good deal. Um, so you can do that. And uh, it helps keep this ministry going. And we're, we'll continue to bless you in any way that we can. So that helps out. Uh, also, people have been asking um, my son Nathan. He is uh, he, he's, he has he's been on this years long battle f with cancer. Um, he is in remission, thank God. But he also has a whole host of mental health issues that um, is uh, it, it's it's been a nightmare. At some point, when we can do it, when we know more, because uh, if you've ever if you've ever had a family member a family member with mental health issues. When you first discover it or when you realize for the first time, like, wow, this has been here for years, and you try to find answers, a lot of times it can just take a really long time. It's it's not like a like a bodily, like physical thing where somebody can point to it and say, like, yep, that's cancer. Uh, it can't be anything else but cancer. We can look in the microscope and, you know, we can see it. Mental health issues aren't like that. With mental health, it's like, well, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this other thing. Uh, we have to observe and we have to try medications and we have, but it, it's, so it's all a mess. But his uh, mental health issues are, are I, I think that is like more pressing than even the cancer. Um, and we'll we'll do an update at some point when we know more about it and talk about it. Um, but it is, uh, it's just a whole other thing that, um, is going to be expensive, and th there was there was one medication that we were told we had to that that he needed. It was going to be like five hundred dollars a month or something like that, and and so it, the, the doctor said that he might be able to find a different thing. So we're 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 looking at different options and stuff, and um, so we're we're going through all that. But uh, if you want to help, the best way to help uh, finance well, pray. That's the best way to help. But um, if you want to help financially, right now we've been having some trouble with GoFundMe. They they made our they made our accounts and a whole bunch of other people's like just random accounts inactive, and then they never turned them back on. And we have not been able to get anywhere with them, uh, sending emails and stuff. So we don't know why his GoFundMe is inactive. So we're still working through that. We might just start a new one just for the mental health stuff. Might just end up doing that. But um, if you want to help, the best. The best place that you can go right now to help is uh, paypal.me slash joshpeckdisclosure. And that 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 is just the easiest, best thing to do uh, for right now. Um, I also have Cash App if you'd rather do that. It's dollar sign Josh Scott Peck. Um, and then I have a P.O. Box, uh, P.O. Box 396, Crane, Missouri, 65633. So if you if you'd rather like send a check or money order, you can do that. But uh, the easiest, best way, if it works for you, and if it's something that you feel led to do, to help Nathan out, um, best place is PayPal.me/slash Josh Peck Disclosure. I have no idea what the future holds for him. Um, I I know it's not going to be cheap. I know that, but I have no idea what is in store. But I know that 
God will provide. So just, just I, I don't want to go on too much about it. Just keep us in prayer, please. Keep our family in prayer and keep Nathan in prayer. Um, if you can't afford to donate, that's totally fine. I am never going to be the kind of person that's going to say, you know, God will give you an extra blessing. No. Um, just just do it if you feel led to do it. If not, that is, you know, that is between you and God, and I am not going to judge that whatsoever. That's that's totally fine. Uh, but if you could, ta- if you could even just take a few seconds and, and just just, you know, ask God to keep his hand on on Nathan and uh, provide for him. That would be great. Okay, Uh, so we're going to get into uh, new oil and what that represents. We're going to do that in members only. So all of you, thank you so much for uh, watching, those who have watched for free. Members, stay on the line. Everyone else, thank you so much. Take care. God bless.